This episode is brought to you by MSW Nutrition and Lounge, a partner in the Howdy Health Network. For decades, I've struggled with various gut and autoimmune issues, which have forced me to alter my life and career. Within the last year, though, after undergoing numerous blood tests, I've discovered that a majority of my health problems, they've been linked to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Because I am now able to see what I was deficient in, I can also supplement against those deficiencies with the proper daily vitamins and minerals, as well as receive weekly IVs that are specific to my needs. This has changed the game for me. Today, not only do I feel like a completely new person, my ability to focus in life and business has increased, my athletic performance is better now than when I was a collegiate athlete, and most importantly, the relationship I have with myself, as well as the people I care about most, they are all thriving, and I'd love for you to feel the same way. So no matter where you are at in your health journey, whether it is scheduling your blood work or supplementing for your health needs, the beautiful part is the community at MSW and How Do Health, they will listen to you and help you figure out the best path for you. So go to howdoyouhealth.com and use code THRIVE15 for 15% off all products and services. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Lee Noto, an intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist who is on a mission to help other people and couples love themselves more so that they can thrive in their relationships. Growing up, Lee had extremely high standards for herself and would often punish herself when she didn't meet her own expectations. This could be anything from not being as fit as she thought she needed to be, not being as desirable as she wanted, or being too emotional when she thought she needed to play it cool. As she describes it, she was in a mental prison of her own making. Today, after years of self-work, Lee stands as someone who completely turned her life around, and now she spends her time helping other people shift their own perspectives so that they too can live a better life for themselves. This episode was special for me because as a human being, I know I will always have more work to do when it comes to being a better partner to my wife and a better friend and family member to those around me. Lee does an excellent job at describing the questions we can all ask ourselves to do just that. So get your pen ready to take some notes and please give a warm welcome to Lee Noto. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today I have with me Miss Lee Noto. And I'm super excited for this conversation because we're going to be talking about relationships and intimacy. And it's not something I've really gotten to converse about on the podcast yet, but it is a topic that is always in discussion in my household. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you and just start it off how I always do. How are you doing today? I'm doing swimmingly. Swimmingly. <laughs> what does swimmingly mean? Like, I haven't heard that in a while. In your eyes, what is the description of swimmingly? Synonym with jazzed in my book. Those are words that I bring out very selectively, but they're used very precisely. When I say I'm jazzed about something, very, very excited. When I'm doing swimmingly, just overwhelmingly well in the best way. I feel so grounded, so level, so calm and chill. And this is not how I used to live my life. So to be here now, it's, it's pretty rad. 
I love that response, especially how you're talking about being calm and chill. I had a client today. We meet every Thrive Thursday and I looked over at him and I was I just said to him, I feel really good today. I don't know why. I, I swear this happened earlier today. And I don't know why. I was like, it has nothing to do with business or anything that's going on. Like, I just feel good today. So now I'm going to switch that word to I feel swimmingly today. But we're going to kick it right off into this conversation. And I'm really excited to kind of go through all the topics that I know we're going to hit. But the first question I have is I saw on your Instagram that you've labeled yourself as an intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist. And I'd love for you to tell the audience in your eyes, what does that mean so that they can connect with that? Absolutely. So all of my work is based around relationships. And I think one of the places that so many of us often lose sight of when we're talking about how we relate to others is how we relate to ourselves. We are the nucleus and the common denominator in all of our relationships. So we're at the center of everything for ourselves. And when it comes to intimacy, a lot of the work while I do this work with couples is helping them create deep levels of intimacy with themselves because how we relate to ourselves is naturally how we relate to others. And so the work at the barest level is how do we access that deep inherent place of love within ourselves such that no matter what the external circumstances are, we're good. And it's really that simple. There are so many different takes on love and relationships and what makes a relationship successful, et cetera. And I I love going down those rabbit holes. And in my professional opinion and in my personal opinion, the extent to which I feel good with myself solid with myself, like I've got my own back, like no matter what's happening out here, I know that there's always refuge and home within myself. Everything else in my life takes care of itself. My business, my romantic relationship, my family relationships, my health. And that's the one thing. If we were to just focus on that one thing, everything else would fall into place. So that's the core of the work that I do around intimacy is helping people back home to that simple truth that it all starts here. And that work takes on many forms, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then my work as a psychedelic therapist is directly related to the intimacy work because a lot of the work that I do is with the use of very specific psychedelic and plant substances in order to access the nervous system. And when we access the nervous system, we access very primary underneath conscious awareness parts of ourselves that were formed in utero, very early childhood that most of us don't have conscious awareness of or at least regular access to. So I'm talking about things like attachment styles. And if anyone's familiar with attachment styles, then you know that the attachment style that we form as a child with our primary caregivers and with those who were very active in our lives really informs how we relate in our romantic partnerships as adults and how we relate in general. And so, you know, there are aspects of talk-based modalities that can start to get to attachment style and start to get to what's happening for us underneath our cognition, but really they can't touch into that place within us because it's not something that we can talk about. It's wired into our nervous system. So, 
when we're looking at the therapeutic use of psychedelics in this way to access the nervous system, we're getting to touch into what's called our primary consciousness. Primary consciousness is that early part of us. So this is not the prefrontal cortex. This is not the part that is in logic, reasoning, everyday faculty. This is the part of us that was formed from zero to seven. And psychedelics, when used in an intentional way, can help us access those parts of ourselves. And so the way I use this in my practice is helping people to clear charge in their nervous system to be able to repair attachment style in connection with a safe, grounded nervous system so that when they go back into their relationships, they can actually work toward creating a secure attachment. There's so much to unravel there. Thank you for that response. My mind is going in like four different directions. I'm going to try and remember like the three questions that popped up that I wanted to cut you off on, but I wanted to keep hearing where you were going with it. The first one though was problem solving meaning obviously you're solving a problem for other people. I want to know why does that problem exist in the first place? So what causes people to struggle to be intimate with themselves? Let's first start with what does being intimate with yourself look like? And then why do people struggle with that? So the way that I view intimacy, and this is not a belief that I always had, because for for many years of my life, I had no real idea what intimacy meant. And that was based on my childhood. And when I view intimacy now, this is something that my partner shared with me. When we're talking about intimacy with another person, so you and I right here, right now, we're in the same space. We're in the same place. Yes, we're in the same physical location. But when there is absolute presence with someone else, you're in the same energetic location as well. You and I could be sitting in front of each other and you could be thinking about what you're doing next week and I could be thinking about what happened to me last week. And even though we're sharing physical space, we're not in the same energetic or emotional space. And that's what happens between so many people is there's the sharing of physical space, but not the sharing of mental, emotional, energetic space. So when we collapse all of those things to come into the same space with each other, where there is resonance, where there is deep presence, where I can be with you in your experience and you can be with me in mine. We're collapsing the boundary between us. That is intimacy. Now, if we look at how we relate to ourselves in that way is, can I be with what's here right now? And can I be in acceptance of what is inside of me, on me? Can I be with what is in regards to any part of me, whether that's physical appearance, emotional disposition, my thoughts about something, can I be with what is without trying to fix, change, adjust all the things we do to ourselves? And can I just be here with myself now? And that is how I define intimacy with self. Again, another inspiring response has my brain going everywhere. And I've never heard of it that way. And I think that is one part of the problem is like when people think about intimacy, they're thinking about what we know what everyone is thinking about with intimacy. They're not thinking about it in in that realm. And it's not something we're taught. It's not something I, I can attest to being shown like in my childhood. That's not something I was shown because again, I think when you're talking about presence, when you have your family, everyone's there, but are they really there? Right. So I can vividly think back to the times that I was 
in my home and everyone's under the same roof, but no one's under the same roof at the same time. Right. We're all in a different space. We're all worried about our different things. We're all in our own little silo and our own, like what I call it is like a VR world of, Mm -hmm. I have my one way that I'm viewing life. The next question relates back to the psychedelic side and how that unlocks kind of the inner child or some unconscious things that we have in us from our childhood. I don't know if you know the science behind it, but I would love to know a little bit more because this is all new information to me. What keeps us as humans from having those things locked up for so long? And you can go anyway with this. It could be societal factors. It could be trauma. It can be a bunch of different things. But in, in your eyes and from your work, what have you found to be the thing that is inhibiting people from these unconscious things that happen in their childhood? Yeah. Oh, that's such a deep question. So I would say most, at least mammals, have the capacity and the ability and the mechanism built in to automatically release trauma. And so let's take an antelope and a cheetah, for example. When an antelope is running away from a cheetah and it narrowly escapes escapes the grips of the cheetah and it's survived, the first thing the antelope will do is it will find a safe space away from harm and danger and it will shake. So there's an autonomic nervous system response that is built in to this animal that knows that when it's done, in order to not be burdened by the weight of that traumatic experience, I have to release it. So the antelope will shake and then it'll go on, it'll continue grazing. We have the same built-in mechanisms and intelligence. However, what we have that's different than antelopes and cheetahs and other animals is we have social norms. And these social norms say that it is unacceptable for us to behave and to respond in that way. So there was actually a longitudinal study done, and I cannot remember the source of this, but there was a a study done on the effects of war and populations in war zones. And what they found is that over a long period of time, if an adult was living in that war zone and if a child was living in that war zone, the adult tended to sustain the traumatic experience in their nervous system much more severely and over a much longer amount of time than the children did. And the reason why was that when the children experienced the chaos and the trauma of what was happening in their physical environment, they would tremble and they would shake. And that was their nervous system releasing the traumatic experience. Now, it doesn't mean that the trauma didn't still have a psychological imprint, but there was releasing from the nervous system. Whereas the adults were doing everything they could to make sure the children were safe, to care for everything around the household, to care for family members, and they were not undergoing or allowing themselves to undergo the same trauma release experience. And so their bodies and their nervous systems were holding on to this, and they had no idea that this was going to be what helped them to release the trauma. As children, before we're burdened with these societal norms, our body will do what it does, which is often why you'll see a kid dancing with no regard for how they look or saying something with pure and utter honesty, with no regard for how it sounds or who they might be offending. Because all of these 
forms of radical self-expression, radical honesty, release, pure being, pure presence are built into who we are. But over time, we learn that these things aren't acceptable. If we do these things, we'll lose love, we'll be rejected, we'll lose connection, we'll be ostracized, we'll lose the job, etc. So as we go on, we form all of these narratives around our lovability, deservability, worthiness in relation to how we behave. And all of that is formed in the household through familial constructs, religious constructs, media, etc. And so that might be a roundabout way to answer the question, but we learn how to inhibit our natural responses that are built into the intelligence of who we are. So it's not that we don't know how to do these things. Our body knows how to do these things. And we were burdened with different conditioning and programming that it's not safe or okay. And there may be cases where it's not. However, largely we inhibit these very natural, intelligent mechanisms and behaviors because there is some sort of fear that's built into what will happen on the other side if we do and tend to our body's needs in the way that it really requires. It reminds me of the the saying the universe has all the answers. We tend to think that we have all the answers and then we know what we're doing when the reality is 50% of what we think is true is false and think 50% of what we think is false is true and we don't really know it's true or false, but the universe has created us and it reminds me of kind of, I always wear my real food as medicine shirt typically when I'm on, when I'm on this and I didn't do it today because uh, I started realizing I was wearing it so much, but it reminds me of, especially in today's day and time, like pills mm. and that type of thing where we are inhibiting ourselves and closing ourselves off from what our body is naturally meant to do. And it's because of, as kids, we have that natural tendency. And then as we get into our teenage years and you start getting bullied or people are starting to give you those norms of what you should do, why you should do it. And then college and your professional career, it only gets worse. You start hearing the noise from more and more people, especially as a man, that conditioning is like, you don't even know what to do. Because the moment you get hurt as a kid and you see that like what crying gets you versus what being Mm -hmm. tough gets you, you just learn that like, I don't even know how to cry. Like that's like the, the, that's like the state of most males. And for me, seeing a lot of people that struggle getting into relationships from, from the male side, it's because we blame males for a lot of things, but it's like growing up as one, like, I don't remember seeing a good example. So if you've never seen a good example, how do you know to be that? So I'd love to know when couples work with you, if we don't know what we should be, it's very tough to reach out for help. So what are the problems that people are going through in the relationships? And when I say problems, I don't mean like abuse or anything. I mean like what we were talking about kind of before the podcast where you see this great couple online, or I consider my marriage to be very well put together, but we struggle every day. And mm-hmm. it's a lot more little paper cuts than it is like right. blowout things, right? Yeah. So what does that look like when those couples are are coming to you? What are they reaching out to you for? Yeah, you're saying this paper cut idea. And so often I find with couples, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And I have experienced that so many times in in many of my relationships as well. So one of the things that I'll say sort of as the context for this is that 
most problems or challenges as they arise are not about that thing at all. It could appear that it's because you didn't wash the dishes or she always does this or he never does that, right? We've constructed these realities in our minds and we often forget that the reality I see is vastly different than the reality you see. Even if we spend all of our time together, I still have a whole host of different lived experiences, different needs, preferences, desires, boundaries. And while we may align on many of them, and while I'm sure you and your wife have a lot of alignment on values and beliefs and goals and dreams, you're two entirely different people. And so when we can even step back for a moment and recognize, like truly recognize the simple yet profound truth that we're always living in entirely different realities from people outside of us, then it can breed some compassion that there's a space for there to be a different perspective for you that feels equally valid and true as my perspective on the same matter. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Lee. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Lee Noto. When I see some of these pervasive issues with couples, it's typically one of a few things, and they all kind of lead back to the same root, which is there's grave miscommunication. And this is why it leads back to intimacy with self. When I see a lot of miscommunication in couples, it's because they are not aware and don't have the language to accurately describe what's happening for them inside. What are my needs right now? What are my preferences right now? What are my boundaries? What are my desires? What would I hope the most to gain from this conversation or to contribute to this conversation. When I don't have a clear understanding of what that is for me, yet I'm taking issue with something my partner's doing, but I don't know what my need is in the situation. I don't know if my boundary was crossed. I don't know how to communicate that. Then I'm giving my best approximation of some sort of emotion that's coming out in some unfiltered and sometimes very unintentional way that is up here and the core or the real root of the thing is down here. So often what I find with couples is we're giving vague approximations to the other person through language about what's happening inside of us. And that's not the thing that's really 
at the heart of the issue. I'll give you an example. It might be, I asked my partner to wash the dishes and a day or two goes by, he hasn't washed the dishes and I can lose my shit and I can say, why didn't you wash the dishes? This is so annoying. You never do this. You always do this. And I'm up here. What's underneath that is what need of mine is going unmet that is causing the emotional state? What story or interpretation do I have about that thing, right? Not doing the dishes means he didn't do the dishes. That's all. It doesn't mean anything else. But when I dig beneath the layers to understand what my interpretation of that is, it might be I'm interpreting that my needs aren't important to him, that I'm not being considered in our relationship, that there have been many instances where I haven't felt considered and oh, by the way, I didn't feel considered by my own father. And wow, I saw that my father didn't consider my mother. Oh my God, is that what's happening again? And so this is just a a fabricated example, but this is what happens for people all the time. We're taking the template for our very first relationship, which is our relationship with our primary caregivers, based on how we formed our attachment to them, whether it was secure, which it's not for most people, or anxious or avoidant or ambivalent, we're taking that original template and we're laying it over all of our other relationships. And all of that is playing out with our romantic partner or partners. And until we understand like, okay, is there something vaguely similar to that dynamic? Or is there something that's not working here for me? Until we start to question those things, we're running the default narrative. We're running the default template. And so once we actually start digging into what's underneath the, he didn't do the dishes, he doesn't care about me, all the way down to the root of what needs are going unmet, what thoughts and narratives do you have about that? What emotions is that generating? How is that similar or different to what you experienced growing up? And what sensations is that provoking in your body that lets you know that you're safe or not safe? because it's really almost always coming down to a deep fundamental sense of safety. Then we're actually working with the real stuff. So mostly what I see is grave miscommunication between couples because there's something that's coming out, but what's really happening is a hundred feet underneath. And it's typically because people don't have a real sense for what's happening inside of them. And it's so much easier to project anger and frustration out onto somebody else and make it someone else's fault than to look inside and say, okay, what's happening for me right now? What is this inspiring or triggering within me that I could introspect on for a moment so that I could really communicate with the intention of inviting that other person into my inner space so that they can be here, same place, same emotional space, same energetic space, And they can be with me in how hard this feels for me, in how challenging this feels for me, in how in fear I feel right now, because that's where the intimacy is created. When I can stop saying like, you do this, you never do that. And I can say, hey, I'm feeling really challenged by this. This is the dynamic that I saw growing up. And I saw the impact that it had on my mother. And I'm in fear that I'm going to end up like her. And that's what's really happening when I get so angry about you not doing the dishes because I saw the dynamic between my parents. Like that's real. And while not everything is as deep 
as that, when we take a moment to introspect, to really understand what's happening inside, we have a better chance at communicating more accurately so that our partner can actually say, wow, I can be here with you in that. I have a different perspective. And in this moment, I can be here with you in how this feels for you without making it my truth. I love this. And if you're just listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever else, and you're not watching the video, I'm smiling right now because you hit the nail on the head of like one of the issues I I think I previously described on one of my episodes. I was talking about how I'm not the neatest or organized of people when it comes to like my personal space. If you look at my business and my laptop, highly organized, my hard drives, highly organized, but my personal space isn't. However, my wife is so detail oriented and very much has to have things in a certain way and like things be clean. And she would get on me all the time. And I'd argue back and like, eventually I get to the point when we got our own house, that's when it was like, I started thinking like, okay, why am I so triggered by her just pestering me with all this stuff? And I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, because my argument was like, this is my home. Stop telling me what to do in my home. This isn't just your home. Mm -hmm. This is my home. So we have to meet in the middle. So what ended up happening was I would reflect and it reminded me exactly of my relationship with my father. Mm. As soon as I got in the house, from or he came home from wherever it was never like how are you how was your day at school so proud of you for getting good grades and doing well at sports it's why your shoes at the table yeah why is your book bag not hung up why is your jacket not in its place why are the video games on the floor that's all it was all day every day and it made me feel like i could never be at home so guess what that made me do as i got older i was never home I never like, and if I was home, I was in the basement. No one could see me. No one interacted with me. Just like we're talking about the intimacy. I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah. Right. And one of the reasons, the main reasons was that I couldn't just be myself. So when I actually described this to Erin, one, she's gotten a lot better at like understanding. I don't view the dishes as like a must do right now just to feel better. As long as our house is like generally doesn't look like a pigsty, I'm good. And that makes me comfortable. And I'm focused more on like our one-on-one time. Am I spending one-on-one time with you? And once I explain that with her, like, hey, my lens doesn't even see that. My main thing is like, if you're coming home from work, I'm thinking, what food do I need to get ready for Aaron? Mm -hmm. So I had to explain to her like, you see those dirty dishes? A lot of that food you ate was because I cooked it for you, right? And then mm-hmm. I have to go clean it. I know, I get it, right? And then vice versa. I don't want to make her seem like the good cop, bad cop in this. There's, It's the same way. For her, her needs are a lot of like time-oriented things, like communication of like, where am I at? What's going on? Because that's how like she likes to be communicated for. I used to be the bad guy and be like, I don't understand this, blah, blah, blah. But for her, I understood that comfort of what it brought because of how she was raised. So the reason I'm telling this story is one, to just validate literally the hypothetical story that you just put out there was spot on with something I've gone through in marriage. And I guarantee other people are going through. But then two, you mentioned attachment style earlier on. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into it, attachment style. Like when you say attachment style, what does that mean? If you can give us like certain types of attachment styles, so that way the audience can understand like, yep, that's me or nope, that's not me. Because when I think about it, I kind of know, but I'm also like, I don't like to be attached to anything. So I'm just like, 
what would mine be then? Yeah. So I don't want to throw labels on you. However, there may be some avoidance in your attachment style. So there are a few different kinds of attachment styles. And depending on what sources you look at, they'll go by different names. But I'd say the overarching ones are anxious, avoidant, anxious, avoidant. Some sources will use ambivalent or disorganized. And so attachment style is how we bond with our primary caregivers. And so that's where we develop that attachment or that bonding pattern. And so based on whether we felt loved, provided for, safe, nurtured, encouraged while we were being raised, whether we perceived love as dependable, love as predictable, safety as dependable and predictable. For those who grew up in a household where those things were present, when they cried out for something, they got their needs met. When they hurt themselves, there was nurture. When something didn't go well, there was encouragement and there was empathy and curiosity about their feelings and their emotional state. When those things are consistently present in a household, people will generally develop a secure attachment. Meaning, as adults, when they relate, they are self-sufficient and balanced when they're on their own, and they also feel safe in connection. For so many of us, deep connection and intimacy doesn't actually feel safe. We may have been married to someone for many years. We may have been in relationship or may currently be in relationship with people. And for so many of us, there's only so much we'll allow others to see. Or we crave to see others more fully and there's only so much that they'll allow us to see. And so with attachment styles, when someone develops an anxious attachment, this was a big part of my style as as I've been working through it. And let me just caveat this by saying that there's no static attachment style. Like I couldn't sit here and say, based on what I'm hearing, you're definitely <laughs> avoidantly attached and that's what you are. That's how you'll be forever. That's how you've always been, right? Depending on who we're relating to and what the context of the situation is, our attachment and our level of embodied safety in connection feels different. So to label us is falls very short of really doing this conversation justice. However, people will generally develop some sort of primary disposition to how they show up in relationships. So when we develop an anxious attachment style, for me, love growing up was very unpredictable. I didn't know when I was going to receive love. Often there would be love and there would be punishment. I had a lot of absenteeism in the household. So I was very anxious. I developed anxiety around understanding, okay, is my mom going to be here? Is she not? Is my dad going to be here? When I show up to my mom, is she going to love me or is she going to punish me? So I, I became hyper aware and I became very acutely attuned to other people. So I could very easily track at the time as children, we don't know we're tracking nervous systems, but we're tracking nervous systems. We're tracking facial expressions. We're tracking tone of voice. We're tracking volume of voice, gestures. And so I became acutely aware of, okay, what's everybody else doing around me? Am I safe? Do I see smiles? Do they sound happy? If they do, then I think I'm good. But if they don't, then I need to fear for whether or not I'm going to get my needs met. 
And that's for children, we're entirely dependent on our primary caregivers. So if I don't think I'm going to have access to love, then my brain signals I'm going to die. Like I am going to die. And that is what it feels like in the body. So I make that point to say that when someone's playing out an attachment style as an adult, while they consciously wouldn't choose some of those behaviors or adaptations in relationship, it's not that they're always consciously choosing how to show up. There are imprints in the nervous system and in the body that were wired in at a much earlier time that if this need isn't met in this way, it feels extremely challenging. And for many people, it can be equated to the feeling of death because this is what happened in their childhood. So love for me was very unpredictable. I had to figure out how to attune myself to get love. So I became very anxiously attached. Now, I also have some avoidance in my style because my mother was very overbearing. So often she would be overbearing with my academic performance, with how I look, with how I present myself, with whether I'm being respectful to other adults and to other people. So there was a part of me that as much as I was yearning to reach for her love because I didn't know when I was going to get it, I was also pushing away because I'm like, this is too much, too much, too fast, too soon. And it flooded my system. So I would shut down. I would develop a freeze response, which when we're talking about trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, I would often freeze because in the face of her overbearing punishment, I knew that I couldn't run away. I knew that I couldn't fight her back because that would be grave consequences. So I would freeze. So often I would want to avoid being with her, which was confusing for me because I'm like, no, mommy, I love you. I need you, please. Oh, mommy, that punishment hurts. I don't, I don't want to be around you. And so there was anxiety in my attachment. There was avoidance in my attachment. And that created a lot of disorganization in my nervous system. And what ended up happening for me as I was getting into dating relationships and relationships in general is that I would only let people in so far. I kept a lot of my relationships very surface level. I wouldn't allow people to see me in some of my most challenging moments. I wouldn't allow them to see me not put together with makeup and an outfit, not well-spoken. I wouldn't allow them to see me in chaos or frustration. And in truth, I, I didn't want to see myself in that way. So the intimacy with myself was very conditional. My love with myself was very conditional. And thus, how I allowed others to love me was conditional because I would, in my mind, in my subconscious, I had the narrative, I will not let you see me unless X, Y, and Z is taken care of. And when I loved others, especially in very intimate relationship, my love was conditional. So I will love you if you do this. I will not love you if you don't do this. And I didn't recognize that that was the paradigm I was operating from because everything in my lens seemed pretty normal. I didn't know there was another reality I could live in. I didn't know there was another way I could feel in my body. I didn't know that I didn't have to be stressed out and anxious all the time because that was my norm. And so when we're talking about these attachment styles, for most people, this is just how it's always been. This is what they have seen. This is what they have lived with. So when two people from entirely different backgrounds come into relationship with one another, 
they're not just relating to each other present day, here we are right now. They're relating to each other with a whole lineage of beliefs and norms and standards and traumatic experiences and all of it. And that's what we're bringing to the table. And so until we learn how to really see ourselves and hold ourselves and create safety for ourselves to be how we are, regardless of how pretty or not it looks and feels and shows, then we're going to be operating from non-reality. It's just not real. It's not what is here, right here, right now. We're operating from an amalgamation of past moments and anxiety about perceived futures. So that's kind of how most people are operating in relationship. The way that how you just laid that out makes me think that a lot of people come into a relationship without being whole themselves. They're not truly here as themselves. Just like you said, a lot of people are anxious about the future, depressed about their past and the things that have gone on there, and they haven't fixed those gaps or even become aware of those. So that when they come in together as a relationship, it's very hard to, one, even decipher what is going on or even talk about. And that's where I think the reason that I got in the relationship I did with my wife and it became a marriage is because at the point in our lives that we did reconnect, we had both gone through other relationships where I think for both of us, there was avoidance in a lot of the different things. Like she moved away. I wanted to move away from like, we had grown up in the same area and it was very much kind of a, a similar story. And when we kind of came together, it was like, I'm not trying to avoid things anymore. So I'm like the guy now that like, I run towards the problem rather than I used to be like, oh, there's a problem here or I don't want to do this thing. I'm, you're not going to see me. I'm just going to bounce. I'm going to peace out. That's kind of how yeah. I was. Um, because again, going back to the conditioning of, I just didn't want to deal with it. And then today you start realizing as you get into adulthood, even if you run away, there's gonna be another problem down the road. You're just kicking the ball down. You're kicking the can down the road. So I wanted to kind of flip the pendulum into how do I become stronger and a better human being and look at myself so that when I do face a problem, I'm not avoiding it. And today kind of like what that looks like is like, what you see is what you get. Mm. Um, I love you unconditionally no matter who you are, but I'm going to tell you what I think. And yeah. if you don't like that, that's on you. And I used to hold back on that and try mm. to please other people because I, I didn't want to get to the point where I was let down and then I had to run away. So it's interesting that you went through it the way that you did because it really hits home with a lot of the things that have gone on in, in my life. But yeah. I'd love for you to share with the audience how you even got to this point of being an intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist. Like, What was your journey to get here and you speak so eloquently. I just want to mm. give you kudos there and you pause at the right moment and things like that. It's something I'm working on as a podcast host. So I just wanted to say that live here, but you, you do do that. And I would love for you to kind of like speak in that manner towards how your journey has been up until this point. Well, the journey here was a lot of my own lived experience. To get to where I am now was truly a heroine's journey in that even in my current relationship, the experience that I've had is that I have been completely obliterated, like decimated, reduced to nothing to build myself back up. And that was something that at points in my relationship, I didn't intentionally create. I was playing out attachment styles. I was playing out mommy issues and daddy issues. And this is some of the joy of relationships is that 
we find ourselves in partnership, sometimes over a trauma bond, but often when we choose to stay in partnership in order to have a reflection to see ourselves in a way that we would not be able to see ourselves if we were single or alone. And so even as recent as this relationship, I have been met with so many aspects of the work that I do now. So the work to get to where I am now is ever evolving. I am creating myself every single day. I'm creating my work every single day. I'm not at all under the impression that I have developed the body of work and here it is and this is how it will be for the next 10 or 20 years. As I develop myself, I am developing the work based on my lived experience, based on the teachers I've studied with, based on the work that I've done with other singles and couples. And you know what I'll say about sort of like the genesis of this path was that from a very early age, I knew that I had a different curiosity about how we function as humans. I had a different curiosity, particularly about our bodies and sensation and touch and pleasure. And that really helped me to gain traction in terms of being curious about sexuality, my sexuality, the sexuality of others, how we relate to others sexually. And so this really started on a personal quest to understand myself better. And a lot of my own personal journey and self-discovery was self-discovery through sexuality. And because of how I grew up, there was a very, very tight container on all of my behavior, on the grades I got, on who I could hang out with, on when I could hang out, on all of the extracurriculars I was assigned to do. So there was no space as I perceived it at the time, for self-expression, for creative liberty. The only space that I found within was behind closed doors, a space that my mom wasn't going to be present in. And so as I started dating, there was a lot of really deep self-discovery around my sexuality, what felt good for me, how I liked to express myself. And I'll say that even at that point in time, it was very experimental but I found that I, I got to really develop a place within myself and a place with those with whom I was exploring for deep connection and intimacy. And that was the only place that I really felt that sort of connection because at the time, I, I think looking back, I felt very emotionally stunted. I didn't feel like I had a lot of access to naming emotions, to identifying emotions, and to even letting emotions wash through me. There was a small band of emotions that were permitted. Happiness, joy, calmness, and you know, that was it. And so if I were well if I was well behaved, I'd be loved. And if I wasn't, then punishment would ensue. And so in that whole world, I I didn't know how to relate to people very deeply emotionally. However, there was something that was so liberating about being in my body. And so that was where I had started to really understand, okay, there's an experience that's happening for me here when I am in such close contact with someone. Everything melts away. We're naked. I mean, literally we're naked, but really we're naked from all of the stories we carry with us. We're not talking about our jobs. We're not talking about all of the other sort of mundane trivialities of life. We're just here. And when I can channel the ability to be present here, that's pureness to me. That's oneness. There is no past. There is no future. 
we're here right now. And this is sort of some of the practice of what sacred sexuality is, is can we be fully present right here, right now with each other in sexual energy, whether we're actually engaging physically or not, can we be very present with each other? And I found an ability to be able to do that in these experiences. And so that was my my first curiosity about intimacy. And at that time, it was as it relates to sexuality. But then I became curious about how people relate and how people relate in intimate relationship, in romantic partnership. And as I started becoming curious about that, that was when I had started to recognize, oh, I'm not sure that I really know how to do this very well. So that was when I became curious about learning to repair the things that felt imbalanced within how I relate to myself as an individual, how I relate to others, particularly romantic partners. And that was really what set me on the quest of studying with some of the world's greatest teachers in intimacy, relationships, psychology, sacred sexuality. And that was when I had cultivated my own practice once I left the corporate world in becoming an intimacy coach, because I had such a deep curiosity about myself and my journey and the places where I felt deeply misinformed and uninformed. And then I had recognized, okay, I'm not unique. Everyone else is struggling with this too. It's not just me. I'm not uniquely fucked up, though sometimes it feels like it. Everyone else has some flavor of this challenge. So if that doesn't create intimacy between all of us and the fact that we have a shared struggle and most of us have shared desires and shared desired outcomes for how we want to feel, for how we want to relate, for how we want to be related to, then there's got to be something to this. And if I can understand what this is inside of me, then surely I can help other people understand what this might be for them without having their answer. So that was the journey to attracting and finding the teachers that I found along the way in cultivating that teacher within myself. And I think the the number one mindset is in always knowing that I'm a student. I will always and forever be a student of my own life, of this work. And so using my own relationship and my own internal landscape as a canvas for how I'm creating is something that's of utmost importance to me. It reminds me of something that I've talked about a lot in a lot of different arenas. And I've never heard it put the way that you put it in terms of sex and intimacy, but I've talked about it with Aaron a lot where we are seeking the timeless. And what I mean by timeless is being with each other in different experiences that block out all the noise of the world. And I think the struggle is keeping that over the course of your relationship. Because when you first get in the relationship, you're willing to just drop everything. And this is my personal experience. So I don't know if it relates to everybody, but I mean, that's why they call it the honeymoon phase, right? Mm -hmm. You're so infatuated with this energy and that person, and you can be present with that person. It's new, it's exciting. And I think a lot of people lose it because they don't even realize it. We're not even self-aware to why did that feel so good in the beginning? And then our relationship starts falling apart. And sex and sexual 
escapades and all that stuff is always talked about. But if you think about it from a, from a female and a male perspective, like you go on a date and the first thing that everyone's asking is like, oh, what'd you guys do? Like stuff like that, right? It's never thought about as, well, that's such a minuscule amount of time mm. compared to what you're actually spending with that person. Just like work is such a large amount of time yeah. compared to spending with your family for most people. Right. I want to change that in my life. But if you looked at it for the average person, the nine to five cor- person, you mentioned corporate, the amount of time they're spending mm-hmm. at work versus being and spending intimate energy with those that they love is so obscure and wrong in my opinion mm-hmm. that they don't even realize that and it got me thinking like I, I like the word naked here because when you're in that environment with somebody else you forget about everything else that's happening so it kind of makes me think about like how can you be not literally naked but how do you find that moment and that presence and that intimacy in your own life and that's where my next question is reversing from the sexual side of things because I think a lot of people can find a ton of information on that and explore and do all those things. But something that I don't really hear that's talked about the most is like that timelessness of time with somebody else where your phone is down and you're actually communicating with each other, where you go on a date and you don't need alcohol to open up and these types of things. So what, when you're working with the people and the couples that that come to you, what are some of the methods to help them step into that timeless being with each other? So this comes back to the root of, do I feel safe to be here now? And when I say that, I mean, do I feel safe to not have to worry about the past or the future? Do I feel safe in my body? in my mind, in my emotional state to be here right now, even with myself, before we even talk about bringing another person into the picture, do I feel safe across the major aspects of my life to not have my mind be somewhere else? And so when we're talking about fundamental sense of safety, yes, am I physically safe to be here right now or do I need to fend off attack? But once physical safety is taken care of, is do I feel emotionally safe to be here right now. Now, if there's strife and challenge happening in my life, then I may not feel emotionally safe to be here now because there's a part of me that is feeling pulled to problem solve some other challenge that's happening elsewhere. But beyond those sort of unique situations in the everyday sort of mundane life that we experience on the day-to-day, it's have I created an embodied sense of safety and awareness of what's happening inside such that I can regulate myself and regulate my nervous system? And so if we don't feel safe to be here, then we're not going to be here. We're going to check out. And for some people, it's a matter of a lack of feeling safe. And for others, we've just so deeply habituated being elsewhere that even if we perceived an embodied sense of safety, our mind is so used to being in the past, in the future, on some other topic. So as far as safety is concerned is with myself, can I be with what is right now? And I'll I'll speak from my own personal perspective. 
because something that has been a a big challenge in my life over time is body image and self-perception. Self-perception of my intelligence, how well-liked or how well-received I am by others, if people approve of me. And that was, you know, developed in childhood. But so often I didn't feel safe to be in my body because I perceived there was something wrong with my body. I wasn't fit enough. I was X number of pounds too heavy. So there was this pervasive narrative in my mind that I'll be happy when I'm five pounds lighter. I'll be happy when my muscles look a little more defined or when I look like the the woman on this magazine cover. So my mind was always somewhere else because quite literally, I didn't think I would be loved or approved of if I didn't appear a certain way. So when I say safety, I want to kind of define that people have all sorts of different mental narratives and ideas of what constitutes safety. And for so many of us who have been ailed by ideas of unworthiness, not enoughness, we need to be more masculine, we need to be taller, we need to be more petite, we need to sound a certain way, we need to make this much money before we can be safe. You name it, right? This is the whole lot of human worry. When we can understand that none of the external circumstances, including the shape of our body, our physical appearance, are actually directly related to our ability to be truly okay with ourselves and our concept of inherent worthiness, then we can start to relate to safety in a new way. But if we're putting safety on all of these external circumstances, many of which are completely out of our control, we're going to continue to outsource our safety to other people, to their opinions, to the amount of money that's in our bank account, to whether or not we bring in that next client. And so when we have all of these weights that are pulling at our attention, we don't inherently feel safe to be here, which means we're not going to be present because we're going to be worried about all of these other things to try to source safety so that when we get that thing, we can then finally feel okay. And more times than not, we get the thing and we still don't feel okay because fundamentally we haven't cultivated the ability to be able to create an okayness with ourselves right here, right now. And so if we're not doing that for ourselves, then When we're in connection with someone else and they're bringing all their stuff to the table, all the things they're worried about, all the places they're outsourcing their safety and worthiness to, then we're not going to be in that timeless state of connection and pure presence because you're in all these places and I'm in all these places. And that's not right here, right now in the present moment where more times than not, there's no problem. There's nothing else that exists. So right now you and me sitting here There is no challenge. There is no problem. There's just the present moment. And when we can understand that we have to generate that sense of okayness and presence within ourselves, and when we can meet someone else in that place and they can meet us in that place, then we strike that feeling of timelessness. I love the word. You were talking about nakedness first, and now you're talking about safety. It's kind of like polar opposites, but it reminds me of also being very much the same. The safety for me, I never have looked at it like, because when you say the word safety, I just think like, am I physically safe? Mm -hmm. But you don't realize how much you're being attacked in your own brain 
all the time by yourself. Yep. And you just made me think about going out all the dinners that I've had where I wasn't technically safe. Physically, I was safe. It was like, I'm at a nice dinner. I'm having sushi, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about, okay, like how much is it going to cost? How much did I make this week? How much am I making next week? What's the next dinner? I'm Like all these things that are attacking me. What do I got to do tomorrow? Uh, What do I got to do the next day? How's this going to make me feel tomorrow? Oh, when I drank. Oh, I'm going to be hungover. Right. One of the reasons I don't drink anymore is so that I can be more present. Mm-hmm. And it relates to ever since I've become so, more self-aware, I've chased that that safety that I, I didn't even realize I was chasing. And podcasting is one of them. Like I wrote this morning on my email newsletter that this is my North Star podcasting. This is what I want to do forever. Yeah, um, It's one of the things. And one of the reasons is, is because I don't think about anything else. It's like drugs without having drugs, like drugs and alcohol used to be the thing that would keep me, whatever I was focused on in that moment, if I smoked or I drank or I did whatever, I was focused on in that moment. Yeah, It's very hard to multitask when you do all this, things, <laughs> yeah. right? But it would quiet my brain. And one of the things that I've realized naturally do it is meditation. It doesn't necessarily quiet my brain, but it allows me to just be at peace, reading, writing, mm-hmm. podcasting. And for me, like anyone out there, like you need to find those timeless places. And that's what I think about being intimate with myself is like in those natures, is like those things, my actions. But unfortunately, this has to be my last question before we start wrapping up. There is going to be a part two of this one. Like, I'm very excited (laughs) um, because there's so much more I want to ask you, but we're closing in on an hour here. And the last question I kind of have, like riffing off this, is practically, what can couples do? If they're listening to this, if a girl or a guy listen to this, they're like, I really jive with this. I want to learn more and I want to do more and, and create a safe space for myself and my significant other. What type of practices should they be doing uh, so that they can maybe just get a little bit better at becoming safe, as you would say? Yeah. One of my favorite practices is an introspective practice. And the name suggests it all. It's fears, needs, desires, assumptions, and radical responsibility. I should probably find like a sexier, shorter name, but this is a deeply introspective practice that you can then share with someone else. But so often when we find ourselves in connection with others, especially in a relationship where there are moments of closeness and presence, there are moments of conflict and challenge, like we had talked about earlier, we're often communicating about things that aren't really the issue. And it's because we haven't introspected on what is underneath all of that for us. So often what I'll do for myself and what I'll have clients do is divide a piece of paper into those five sections. And at the top of each section, at the top of the first section, it's fears. The next one is needs. The next one's desires. The next one is assumptions. And the last one is radical responsibility. So I call this activity like emptying the vessel. If you could just get everything out with no fear of someone seeing what's in this document, with no fear of what it's going to mean about you or what you have to do with it, what you would need to communicate to someone, if you could just let it all out about a particular situation or about a particular person or about something that feels challenging, what are all the things that you feel fearful of? Nothing is too big or too small to list it. I feel fearful of being rejected. I fear that he's going to leave me. I fear that he's not going to hear me when I talk to him. I fear that I'm going to end up like my mother. I fear that, list it. Then based on that, what are your needs? And I find that for so many people, populating this column tends to be very challenging 
because we haven't ever been asked what we need, or we haven't been in the habit of asking ourselves, what do I need right now? What do I need to feel safe? What do I need to feel heard, to feel acknowledged? What do I need to feel loved? What do I need to feel appreciated? So what are the needs that we have? And this column might be needs, you know, at first I would say just list all the needs that you have. Then you can determine if this is a need that you can fulfill or if this is a request that you want to make for your partner to fulfill or for someone else to fulfill. And so do I need words of affirmation? Does that really fill me up and light me up? Do I need to be consulted before this major decision about our home is created? Do I need more time and space to reflect on things when conflict arises? Do I need instant acknowledgement of what I'm sharing? It sounds like that one resonated. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i not very good in the moment. I'm the guy that when a fire's burning, I put the fire out, but then it takes me like a day or two to realize that a fire happened and, and people got burned. Like yeah. That's just my nature. That's caused conflict in our relationship because Aaron's a lot more feel. She feels the heat. She feels the burn. I don't feel it initially, and then just like you were talking, not to cut you off, but like I would lash out, and then I'd realize like two days later, I'd be like, "Oh, like I'm sorry." Like now, I feel mm. kind of like the burn. That's just the nature of, my- and it's not something I've actually tried to change because in certain scenarios, it's like almost a very good strength, and it's made me a good leader. Um, a-, a good example is like. This is so off topic, but also on topic. Uh, when it's when it when we had that storm last yeah. February, and people were freaking out and whatever, I almost was like enjoying it. Like, yeah, that's how it was for me. Like we had no power, my house was flooded, and I had to figure out how to cut open a wall, get everything done, get the ventilators in, get like everything figured out. And for me, that was exciting. For her, it was traumatizing. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like we worked together on that. Um, and I worked to like comfort her, but it like took me a week to process, damn, this sucks. <laughs> like I'm not in my own bed. Like this is bad. Um, so it was just an interesting point that you brought up because I I remembered earlier in this convo I wanted to mention something about that and speak it into existence because if there's somebody else out there that's like me or a couple out there that's going through that, it's one thing that Aaron and I talk about a lot, which is I'm not I've never been good with feeling things for face value. Mm-hmm. It takes me a day, two days, a week to really see underneath the hood and then actually feel it myself. Yeah. Um, and it's been an internal struggle of like, is there something wrong with me mm. because I don't feel that way? But as I've gotten into adult and worked with Aaron, it's been more of like, I need to be conscious of the other person's feelings. Right. And I need to speak into, just like you said, the existence of like, now I'm much better at like, I don't know right now. Right. Um, I will tell you, I will come back to you and I will communicate to you when I'm ready. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm wor- actively working on that because there's no way I'm changing that initial thing, I think, for me. It's just, that's just how I am and my style. Yeah. Uh, but I can communicate in a better manner. So I love that. Not to take you off. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect though because so often we expect others to show up how we show up because we're used to that being the way it works. And so that's a very common dynamic between couples where one person will feel something immediately. The other person doesn't feel the impact of something in quite the same way. They're having their own experience. And so as we're doing this activity, you know, something that might make your list is, okay, a need of mine is I need time and space to process because it takes me a moment to really get a full sense of what's happening for me something on her list might be, I need 
immediate acknowledgement of my experience. I have a direct example. So when this whole thing happened in February, like our house flooded and we caught it while it was flooding. Wow. Like we came back to our house and I'm like, what the hell is that sound? And I look over my fence and I see our water heater just burst and water's Uh-oh. going everywhere. And I immediately knew this is going inside our house. So I open the front door and my initial reaction is like, oh, fuck. Her initial reaction, cry. Mm. And for me, it was a testing moment for us, but it, it ended up working really well because for me, immediately I had my phone out. I need to call my realtor and ask him, okay, who do I go to when right. this happens, right? Um, insurance, plumber, who? This is a new home. Uh, is it under warrant? I'm, there's all these questions going through my head yeah. that I'm processing. And in her mind, she's processing, oh my God, this is my home. This right. is our sacred space or whatever. Right. So it's like two different worlds. Yeah. Um, and I remember looking dead at her and saying, you can't cry right now. Like, I need you to stop, like go get towels, do whatever we can to stop this. In that moment, and honestly, looking back on it, it was like really special for me because I had worked so hard to get to a point where I can communicate that without necessarily being aggressive or whatever. It was very direct. Mm -hmm. Hey, here's why we can do this later. I feel the same way, but like right now, like our house is literally in trouble. So, and it was, uh, it just reminds me directly what you're talking about. And again, just speaking that so that somebody can have a practical example of where it really happened in my life at a traumatizing moment that was not fun. Like we were not in our house for a month. And uh, in that moment, I knew almost like this is not going to be good. But the way that she processes it versus me in the old, old me would have been like thinking about why couldn't she just be be hard like me or stuff like that versus me is understanding what is my role in this? Mm -hmm. And then what is her role in this? Because her role in this is that soft touch. And like me realizing like, damn, this is our home. Like I'm, and that kind of fires me up to like, not let people take advantage of us and make right. make the situation better, get our money's worth to make our house get back to to the way it should be. And like it fired me up because it really made me feel like a team at that point. Yeah. But I want to clarify that it took a lot of the work that you're talking about yeah. to get to that point where it's like we have this mutual understanding of what is our role. And then for her, right. I'm speaking for her right now, but in that moment for her, it showed we're going back to safety because – she would get on me for all this stuff around the house, right? And in that moment, she saw that like I had this extra thing in me that I didn't like. It's like survival of the fittest. I'm competitive. We're gonna fucking survive. Yeah, like that's yeah. how I operate. But if I never get that opportunity, it's kind of goes hidden. So it kind of was a validation for her, like, oh, he does know how to do all these things when he needs to, right? <laughs> and he can take care of the problem, yeah. when he needs to, without any direction or anything like that. Um, right. He can get he can get it done, and he can provide that safety net yes. that we need. Yeah, and that quality in and of itself, and this is the case with any quality, any strength can be a strength on one end of the spectrum, and can be a liability on the other end of the spectrum. It's very contextual. So in a case like this, like recognizing the fact that you had different needs, but you wanted to work toward the same outcome while acknowledging the reality of the other person is what allowed you to work together as a team. So she was having an emotional experience and she had it for however many seconds she had it. 30 seconds. And then <laughs> and then it was And then she got it together for that short amount of time to get something done. But it sounds like you also said, hey, I know this is hard for you. It's hard for me too. And 
we got to take care of it. So there was that, even a brief moment of acknowledgement of, I get that this is a really big thing for you. Even in that brief acknowledgement, you could have met a need of hers that really shifted her experience and perhaps really invited her and encouraged her into being a team player because she was met in that moment, even if it was a fleeting moment, so that she could feel validated in her reality and in her interpretation of the events and then meet you and take care of everything. My next goal is to speak it as like saw, like, cause tonality is one of my issues as well. So I didn't say it as nice as you said it. I'm proud of like just getting to the point that I was at and we yeah. were able to come together as a team and, and solve that and then ultimately console later on down the line. But one of the things I'm, I'm still working on very much so is, is the wording, how I say things, uh, because I mean it exactly how you just said it, but it doesn't always come off that way. And that's something that I'm, again, still trying to break through on a good topic. I loved it, but I'd love for you to wrap up. I'll finish the, yeah. Okay. So fears, needs, next one is desires. Once all the basic needs are met, what do you desire to create in this given situation with this person? And so these are things like if there's a challenging moment, I desire to really strive toward feeling like a team with this partner. What are my desires after my basic needs are met? And then the next column is assumptions. Assumptions sometimes feels like a gray area because often we're not aware of the assumptions that we're making because assumptions seem like truth to us. But I like having this point of reflection because it allows me to ask myself, what is it that I think I have the answer to that I haven't asked the question about? So am I making an assumption about my partner and how he feels about me or how he's handling the situation? And I haven't asked the question, hey, is this how you feel? Hey, how do you feel about this? So it it gives me a space to understand where am I making assumptions that might be coloring my reality that's not objective truth? And then the last column is radical responsibility. What within myself, within my experience, within my emotional state, am I willing to take responsibility for that's going to incrementally or dramatically shift my experience of life and the other person's experience of life? And this one is one that we often miss out on because we've been shown to point the finger, to place blame, to make it someone else's fault. But when I'm asking, where can I take responsibility in a sovereign way that's not taking on someone else's emotions, but that is allowing me to stand in my own personal sense of power and saying, all right, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility for my emotional state, for how I react, for the amount of empathy that I extend to others. And I'm going to make sure that I'll do everything I can to show up in a way that feels like it's an integrity for me. So to wrap all of that up, These five points of reflection, what do I feel afraid of? What are my deepest fears in this situation? What are my needs? What are my desires? Where might I be making assumptions? And where would I like to take radical responsibility? If we can introspect on those things, that especially the things that feel challenging for us, then we have a whole treasure chest full of things that we could choose to communicate to a partner And if we're in that shared experience together, then they're creating this list as well. And we're getting insight into, wow, I had no idea that that was a fear for you. Oh, that must be really challenging. Oh, I didn't know that that was a need for you. I would love to be able to meet that. Oh, I see that's an assumption. Here, let me clarify that for you. 
And it just, those five simple categories allow us to really open to ourselves and whatever of that we choose to share with someone else, we can welcome them into our inner realm. And that's how we can really create deep intimacy with someone. Is that something that you made up yourself or is that something someone else gifted you? I made that up. I reuse a lot of wonderful materials from other people because why reinvent the wheel? But this was one I found that I had a lot of challenge with really communicating what was deeply underneath what I was expressing. And so one of the questions I asked myself was, what would I need to understand to really let someone get to know me? If they knew what I was afraid of, they would see a part of me that most people don't see. If somebody understood what my needs were and if I understood what my needs were, then I could make a request for those things and I wouldn't breed resentment in my relationships because I'm speaking up for my needs and I'm ensuring that those needs are met. If I knew what I desired, then I could create my reality by design instead of just waking up into the same old day. If I knew where I was making assumptions, then I would know where I might be misperceiving a shared space between us that's not your reality. And if I could take radical responsibility for different aspects of my life, then I wouldn't be playing victim because I spent many, many years playing victim and it doesn't breed the most desirable results. So Certainly there are other categories that people could introspect on that would really help create intimacy with self, but at its core, those five can really yield a lot of information. Super powerful. And my next question with this is, do you have like a PDF or something that people fill out for this? Or is it just something they write in their notebook? So at the bare bones, you could literally just write those five words at the top of a piece of paper and just empty the vessel, just go for it. I have made PDFs. Yes, I do, I do have a PDF. But if somebody wanted to do this on the go, like you could do this in a journal, you could do this on your phone, you could go through it in your head, but I really love the act of getting it out so you could see all of what's there. There's something that's very validating about being witnessed. And even if it's us witnessing ourselves, if I'm witnessing what I'm looking at in my journal, it gives me a moment to validate my own experience. And the one last thing I'll say about this is emptying the vessel is meant to happen with curiosity and without judgment. That is what allows us to feel fully expressed is that when we know we're not going to judge ourselves for what's underneath, when there is no fear that's too big or too small or too stupid to be a fear, then I'm going to create safety and rapport with myself. And that's why so many people lack a fundamental sense of safety within themselves because there is such a strong voice of judgment and criticism. If you were to show up with your best friend and you were like, hey man, this is something I'm struggling with. Here's the situation. And he's like, oh man, that's stupid. I don't know why you would struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. You've been doing this for five years now. When are you going to get over it? Or here, that sounds like a problem. Here's how to fix it. That doesn't create safety because we don't feel seen. We don't feel heard. We don't feel acknowledged. Often we are that perpetrator voice to ourselves. So it's no wonder that so many people are going around feeling deeply emotionally unsafe within themselves. And it's not anything anybody else is doing. It is that voice that we have developed. And so 
if we can create a space for ourselves where we can validate our own experience, nothing is too big or too small to be witnessed and to be held with regard and with sacredness and with respect, then honestly, if this is the only part of the podcast you're hearing, then this is the part that I hope people walk away with is if we can just show up and say, all right, I often will use a lot of touch. I'll be like, okay, girl, I got you. You're good. Tell me what you want to tell me. And I'll, I'll talk to myself in that way. And I'll say, all right, baby girl, it's okay. I got you. Like, what are you feeling right now? Just let me know. And whatever comes out, there's no judgment. Okay. Wow. That sounds challenging. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. There's just a sense of neutrality that I've learned to cultivate with myself because that is what I understand really creates safety. I don't feel safe when immediately I feel something and I'm like, I got to fix that. I have to fix it. There's something wrong with me. It's bad that I'm feeling anxious. It's bad that I'm feeling depressed. When I'm like, all right, this is how it is right now. Right now in this moment, I'm feeling sensations that lead me to believe that I'm feeling anxious. That's how it is. What if I don't have to do anything about it? What if it's not bad or wrong that I'm feeling anxiety or that I'm feeling shame? I don't ever think it's bad or wrong that I'm feeling happy. So why would it be bad or wrong that I'm feeling anxiety or shame or doubt or guilt or jealousy or judgment? And so when we stop trying to fix ourselves all the time, we stop implying that there is something wrong with us or that we're broken or that we're not lovable or worthy as we are. And that's what creates safety. And when we show up for ourselves like that, we have immense amounts of capacity to see someone else in all of their emotional range and all of their stuff and be like, yeah, I see you. I see you. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you. And drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. We're going to end there. Uh, there will be a part two in the future to this one because there's a bunch of questions I still have. And it was such a pleasure to have you here. But if there was someone listening out there and they're in a relationship and they're thinking about working with you, what does that person look like? Like, what are they asking themselves right now? One of the ultimate goals of the Thrive on Life podcast is to connect other people. And I love connecting businesses with their target customer and making a happy relationship, as I would say. And one of the things that does that best is knowing that you're speaking directly to the type of person mm -hmm. that you want to be speaking to. So what are the types of problems or questions? And keep this kind of like 30 seconds, like yep. this is the type of person that's thinking about it. Um, and then follow that up with how they can best communicate and reach out to you. Absolutely. So... Our ideal client, my partner and I run a business together called Untamed Intimacy, and it is all about teaching couples how to cultivate a radical sense of intimacy within themselves and within their partnership. So you're in a partnership and you know that you're destined for greatness. You know that you want to be with this partner. Even if the road has felt challenging, you know that even if you're on your last leg or even if you're at the point where you want to optimize you really want to get to the next level. And so they may have faced pervasive challenges, narratives, dynamics, can't seem to get over the past, and they want to create a future with their beloved by design. And they want to move beyond the conventional norm of what they saw in their parents' relationship, what they're seeing in their friends' marriages, what they're seeing everywhere else because they know there's something more for them. That's who we want to work with. People who are 
ready and willing to take radical responsibility for their lives and for their relationships, and who are ready to roll up their sleeves and see themselves as naked as ever before and hold that same kind of love and respect and space for their partners. And that is who can go on to create untamed intimacy is when you're at that level of readiness and willingness to see and be seen. And so to connect, the best place to find me is on Instagram. I am at Noto underscore. And would love to connect with anyone who's curious about this work and who's curious about diving deeper. Love it. And the last question that I ask everybody, feel free to take a couple seconds here to think about the response to this. But when you th- hear the word thriving, what do you think of? So what would be your definition? The first word that came to mind without a thought was creating. And I know that's using another word to describe it, but when I think of thriving, in my life, that is when I have stepped out of the default. I've stepped out of what was handed to me in order to create the life that feels the most aligned for me, where I feel the most joyous, the most relaxed and at ease. And when I'm in creation mode, which is sometimes a deep surrender and sometimes an active creation, but when I'm asking, what do I need right now? What feels best? What would allow me to feel the most open and expansive to connection with myself and to connection with others? That is where I find my zone of thriving. I've never heard it said that way, but it reminds me of how you mentioned safety earlier in this podcast. And at the end, I always talk about my biggest takeaway. And that was the biggest takeaway where connecting the word safe to timeless and creation for me is safe, is safety. Like if I'm in a creative mode, I am zoned in to that. And it's also timeless. It's, I just love it. And the reason I asked you about that PDF earlier was because one of the things that I do that is safe and timeless is write a daily newsletter. Mm -hmm. And I would love to write about those five things that you came up with and then share uh, your PDF with other people so they can clearly see it because I don't want to butcher it. Um, (laughs) I'd also love to get your brand out there. So Thank you again for listening to this episode. This was a little bit of a longer one, but it was so packed with everything. If you've been listening, please connect with Lee at Lee Noto underscore on Instagram. And yeah, tell her I sent you her way. Is there any last parting words that you have? The message that's coming through for me is we're all lovable right here, right now. There's so much beauty in striving for growth and for expansion. And I'm a huge proponent of that, of course, given the work that I do. And it's really important to walk that balance between striving to grow and expand beyond where we sit right now and creating a deep level of awareness and presence with where we are right now. So if it's available to you to turn inward for a moment and find a sense of okayness with how things are right here, right now with you, with your life, with everything about it, then I wish you a lot of peace in that moment because we're all worthy of feeling that from moment to moment. Heck yeah. That's how you thrive on life. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. If there's one thing that you can help me with right now, please share this episode with somebody that you think can gain value from it and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way that we can get Lee's voice heard and the Thrive on Life podcast out to the audience that we hope to reach. Until next time, this is CJ. Thrive on y'all. 
What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.